Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast of the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Christina Matina, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we're talking with the co-editors-in-chief of the American Journal of Managed Care, Dr. Mark Fendrick and Dr. Michael Chernew. They look back on the past year and discuss what they're looking forward to in 2024. Thank you both for joining us. We're excited to look back on 2023 and look ahead to 2024 and beyond. And we always like to start by asking you, what research stood out to you this year? And did you have a favorite AJMC article, Dr. Fenger? It's great to be with you, Christina, and also fabulous to have my co-editor-in-chief and close friend Mike Chernow on this end-of-the-year podcast. It's hard to believe how many years we've been doing this, and every year seems to get better and better. Uh, AJMC is not the only place that declared uh, the year of new drugs for unhealthy weight as one of the major breakthroughs in what's going on in, in individual and population health. And although it may not have been one of the most sophisticated, I really liked the article from the team at Sutter Health that actually was very carefully and rigorously able to demonstrate the very high prevalence of unhealthy weight in their population. They estimated that approximately a third of people might be eligible for some intervention for unhealthy weight. And given the excitement over the effectiveness, but also the concerns over the cost, this is why this particular article uh, rings true to me as one that not only was important in 2023, but sets us up for further research and policy articles in AGMC moving forward. Dr. Chernow? So I'm gonna go way back to February uh, and pick an article by uh, Abigail Berman and colleagues looking at the inaccuracy of provider directories. They looked explicitly in California at the accuracy or, or lack of accuracy uh, for plans, mental health care providers in, in their network directories. And um, I picked the article, the issue might be considered by many a little bit under the radar, um, but I actually think it's central to how a lot of plans operate, the ability to tell consumers which providers are in the actual plan and what that means for care delivery. And to paraphrase the um, uh, findings, provider directories are inaccurate. I actually don't think that's because the plans are nefarious. I just think it's that because people and particular policymakers don't understand how hard it is for plans to maintain the accuracy of their provider networks, but it really does have ramifications for choosing plans. There's a few others that I thought were interesting. There was a very interesting article about contract pharmacies in 340B by Neil Mejia. There was an interesting work on Medicare Advantage and the fiscal sustainability of rural hospitals, which I think is going to be an important question as Medicare Advantage grows. So you can almost go through every issue and find some article that's appealing one way or another, regardless of your tastes. But you made me pick one, so I did. Well, I, I want to say it's particularly hard at the end of the year to pick your top 10 list, including podcasts. But listening to Mike, I'm hopefully that this AJMC podcast will be one of my top for 2023. But I do want to just do a quick add-on and talk about what we strive so much for at AJMC in, in terms of policy relevance. It turns out that the article that Mike talked about regarding uh, network adequacy was a very high-level issue in the U.S. Senate in 2023, leading to multiple hearings. And it turns out that uh, Senator Wyden's staff actually did 
their own study looking at networks, uh, calling the issues in many cases, particularly as it pertains to mental health, uh, ghost networks. And very happy to know that this AJMC article actually informed that investigation. Well, as you mentioned, 2023 saw a lot of policy updates. Um, one talked about a lot was the release of the list of drugs eligible for a price negotiation under the IRA. Uh, Dr. Chernu, could you talk about what this means for our readers and what kind of research we hope to see in AJMC about it? So that was so fun because Mark told me before the podcast he wanted to talk about the IRA. Um, I now get to say something very briefly because I will turn it over to Mark because he is so anxious to talk about this topic. But um, <laughs> the uh, Inflation Reduction Act was really uh, landmark legislation in the area of prescription drug markets and prescription drug pricing. And the core premise behind the act was for a range of reasons, um, prescription drug markets weren't working very well, drugs were very high priced, it was preventing affordability to drugs, and that there were a lot of market failures and it would take more time than we have to go through the details. The um, law itself is complicated, but at its core, it involves picking a set of medications um, based on their prevalence and there's some exceptions if there's generics and stuff um, to begin negotiating prices. I think it's not yet clear what negotiating means, what the ultimate prices will be, what the impact of the negotiation for any particular drug will have on the prices of other drugs related to the class, those classes of medications. Um, since I can't pronounce many of the drugs and I'm not sure what they're used for, I can't say eloquent. Um, but I will defer the clinical discussion about the specific drugs and any other policy things to mark. But I think because of the lags and when this will really come into effect, we are going to be in a period of intense academic and policy scrutiny to see how this law is working. What is it meaning for prices? What's it meaning for consumer access to drugs? What is meaning for innovation? And that's probably gonna go on uh, for quite a while. So I uh, atypically agree with Mike on many of the points he made about the Inflation Reduction Act and particularly around the highly publicized issue, Christina, on drug price negotiation. I think it's really important for our listeners and readers to know that the passage of last year's IRA made up of several structural changes to the way Medicare covers and pays for drugs. So although most of the attention at least in the lay press, has been on the drug price negotiation. It's really important to point out that the law includes changes that will greatly improve drug affordability now by eliminating consumer cost sharing on vaccines, those in the Part D program, reducing out-of-pocket costs for insulin, that $35 a month copay cap that was already in place for the year 2023. And very exciting, uh, beginning January 1, 2025, the annual out-of-pocket cost cap at $2,000 a year annually, with a special edition of our friends from the University of Pennsylvania of an amendment that allows that $2,000 out-of-pocket annual cap to be smoothed over the entire year, such that patients who don't have $200, say in January, to pay for their very expensive drug can actually pay for that over the 12-month period. What's important about these value-based insurance design elements of the IRA, not related to the Inflation Reduction Act, that CMS themselves reported in 2023 that in 2025, the year the out-of-pocket max goes into place, these IRA Part D VBIT-esque provisions 
could lead to $7.4 billion in reduced out-of-pocket spending for patients. It's estimated close to be 20 million beneficiaries will be impacted positively per year at an average saving about $400 per affected enrollee. So while it's not surprising for Mike and just about everyone else talking about the IRA because everyone's fixated on the drug price negotiation, I think it'll be many, many years of implementation of the negotiation to come anywhere close to the benefit to patients that the cost sharing provisions already in place and not often talked about uh, will lead to improved patient care, improved adherence, and ultimately better patient-centered outcomes. Well, in addition to these policy updates, we also saw a lot of legislative rulings make the news, including a federal judge overturning the preventive services coverage requirement of the ACA. Dr. Fencher, could you talk about this and how you think it might play out in 2024? Yeah, this is where I think you should be calling on Mike first, because I don't want my blood pressure or heart rate to go up so he could not prescribe a drug that he can't pronounce. But uh, the Braidwood versus Bashara case is one that has the potential to overturn a significant part of the preventive services provision of the Affordable Care Act. This is uh, an area that Mike and I have worked on extensively before the ACA. It uh, is one of the incredibly popular aspects of the Affordable Care Act. It has a majority of Republicans actually supporting the elimination of cost sharing for now these 80 services. And uh, again, the administration has shown that at least 150 million Americans have benefited from it. And that doesn't include the amendment of this provision that allowed for no cost COVID tests, COVID vaccines and treatments. So uh, you can imagine as this works through the court with the most likely situation of the 46 services designated an A or B rating from the United States Preventive Services Task Force, which includes screening for four cancers, mental health, HIV, cholesterol, diabetes, et cetera, as well as uh, a number of vaccines uh, that mandate that all non-grandfathered plans have to cover that first dollar is certainly in jeopardy. Uh, the good news is that uh, studies from the Employee Benefit Research Institute by Falk Fronston and uh, America's Health Insurance Plans, coordinated by Katie Spangler, showed that up to three quarters of uh, public and private payers in those groups will continue to cover the existing services uh, that are currently covered no cost sharing. But it's really important to point out that the preventive services provision is what I like to say is a gift that keeps on giving in that the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, uh, the ACIP of the CDC that determines vaccine efficacy, and HRSA, which deals with a lot of services regarding children and mothers, uh, continues to put out recommendations that if the provision was kept in place would lead to more and more services covered first dollar. Uh, if this case would be upheld, again, it would be voluntarily instead of mandated to cover these things. And I do worry about many of those services that are currently in draft form, such as uh, extending, for instance, breast cancer screening from women from 50 to 40, which would impact 22 million Americans and uh, screening for anxiety and depression, which as we know, many Americans are feeling that given what's going on in the world. So uh, it's a very important issue. We're very pleased to have multiple AGMC submissions and publications around the topic. And uh, I remain hopeful that either uh, uh, the case will not be upheld or uh, legislative or other type of remedies to allow this very popular and important and equity enhancing provision to go on into the future. 
So on our recent editorial board call, uh, we all discussed a number of themes that we'd like to see more research on, including not only the unhealthy weight management strategies that we mentioned before, but also artificial intelligence in healthcare and paying for curative therapies. Oh my Can God. Talk a bit about those and why they're a good fit for AJMC. Well, first I'll talk about them, then I can talk about them, why they're a good fit for AJMC. But I mean, I think a lot of these topics are great fits for AJMC. Some of the early cost sharing work that feeds into some of the Braidwood type analysis, for example, has been published in AJMC for years. Um, and there's a broad issue about the impact of people paying out of pocket and what that means for access to care. And of course, the value-based insurance design angle of um, making sure that people don't face financial barriers for care that we really believe is necessary for them to have. But that part aside, um, focusing on artificial intelligence, we are at the cusp of a different type of technological innovation in this country. We often think about innovation in terms of prescription drug innovation, and you mentioned the GLP-1 drugs. But what we can now do, not just with artificial intelligence, but with these generative AI type models, the chat GPTs and such, is really remarkable. And the new type of tools um, that rely on AI broadly defined, these diagnostic tools, for example, where they can take pictures, read images, have incredible um, ramifications for the efficiency of healthcare. And it may not be surprising as an economist, I spend a lot of my time thinking about the fiscal sustainability of the healthcare system uh, and the extent to which any innovation allows us to do a better job diagnosing and treating disease is unbelievably needed. And these services really show an incredible amount of potential to do just that. The challenge is the existing infrastructure and in particular our fee-for-service system is really poorly suited for incorporating these types of services into the delivery system, knowing when they get a new code, knowing what the price of that code should be, paying per service versus paying in a subscription model um, are incredible challenges. If you look back in the year at AJMC papers, and we've made it this far without talking about the impact that COVID has had on the things we've been publishing, but there's a number of articles that vied for my most interesting that involve how telehealth influenced care and uh, access and quality over the course of the COVID pandemic. Um, telehealth is another example. It's not AI, but another example of how new technologies for care delivery strain the existing paradigms for payment and access and co-insurance and cost sharing and um, differences across specialty access. You can enable people that might not be specialists to diagnose things as well, in some cases, as specialists might. In, in an extreme case, you might even democratize access to diagnosis by having people do things through their phone, take a picture of your eye and figure out what's wrong with you. Um, it is just remarkable what can happen. There's new companies that will allow them to manage the administrative costs. For example, they'll listen to your primary care visit and they'll be able to synthesize that visit into a set of notes that are important and diagnose things in ways that might help us get out from under what I view as a really crushing burden of administration and documentation of healthcare. We are at really the beginning of this long technological journey. And as we move along it, we will push the uh, seams of how our payment models and delivery models work. And I think therefore coming in 2024, 2025 is probably my number one um, area of interest 
in terms of how the healthcare system wraps around these uh, new innovative types of technologies. So this is the time of the podcast where Mike and I get to thank you, Christina, and the entire editorial team for uh, making AGMC the juggernaut it is today. And if you don't mind, since a lot of us are looking at trailers for the blockbuster holidays, I want to give a little bit of a trailer and thank you and the team for not only being where the puck is, but where the puck's going to be in terms of uh, at least one paper that I wanted to mention that'll be coming in 2024 that ties directly to Mike's comments about artificial intelligence. There's been a lot written about the lack of usual source of care and the burden on primary care providers that they're, it's a big topic in the U.S. Uh, Senate Help Committee, as well as many other places about how we're ultimately going to provide primary care to a whole bunch of people. And one of the more interesting papers that's coming our way is the idea of risk-based scheduling and using artificial intelligence to make sure patients see their clinicians when they need to, but maybe no longer see them when they are seeing them, which is certainly a case of our high value, low value, high, low value care system. So really excited to just see that and multiple artificial intelligence papers moving forward. I love saying those two words. My kids will tell you, I have no idea what they mean, but uh, we're, we're very excited to see that AGMC is, is gaining a foothold regarding interesting users as well as evaluators of artificial intelligence. And, and I should add, just because I don't want to be left out here, the policy surrounding artificial intelligence. I think, as I alluded to earlier, the assessments of very mundane but unbelievably important things like when are these a new service versus incident to an existing service um, are going to end up being central to whether we see rapid diffusion of these types of things or much less so, as was true with telehealth as well, which remains an important policy question. Are we going to relax all the rules and open telehealth up? Are we going to close down the system to prevent overuse of telehealth? These are going to be fundamental questions, and both policy pieces, empirical investigations, um, commentaries are welcome on all aspects of that. A lot to look forward to. Any other thoughts as we wrap up the year and look ahead to 2024? I think there's a lot of areas beyond that that I think are really interesting. And again, many of them have been traditionally in AJMC. So I don't want to make it sound like these are new things we haven't focused about, but I think the growth of Medicare Advantage is going to be central to policymaking, understanding the good, the bad, how to improve the Medicare Advantage market. The healthcare system, Medicare in particular, was built around a big fee-for-service system and a small Medicare Advantage system. Now we're going to be in a world where we're going to have more than half of Medicare beneficiaries in a Medicare Advantage plan. The plans by almost all estimates, and certainly I believe, are paid more than they would they would be spent had their beneficiaries been in fee-for-service. They create a lot of efficiencies. I think they actually provide as good, my personal view is probably a little bit better quality. Um, there's a lot of heterogeneity, so that's a statement about averages. But on the other hand, they're paid a lot. They're a way to funnel benefits to Medicare beneficiaries, uh, maybe not an efficient way to do that, but they're a way of doing that. And the policy around Medicare Advantage, I think, is going to be a central policy discussion. The last one I'll mention that I think is going to be crucial, and I do spend a lot of time doing this, so this might be more egocentric than not, but the Medicare fee schedules, particularly physicians and hospitals, have um, built-in deflationary forces, the productivity adjustment in the case of the hospital fee schedule, for example, and the physician fee schedule basically is flat fees and specified in macro rule 
And as inflation is ticked up, this has put a lot of pressure on providers. And how we reform the fee schedules, uh, I think, is going to be a crucial issue. I don't see much happening, actually, necessarily in 2024. But understanding how providers are responding to the fiscal pressures they face will be important as that debate ensues. And I would uh, particularly call out the impact on safety net of rural providers. The issue of how people in rural areas get access to healthcare is a really front and center one, um, both substantively in terms of the science, but also um, politically. So there's a lot that's gonna be going on in 2024. I suppose we say this every year that the next year there's gonna be a lot going on. It's a good industry to be in, I suppose. Um, I'm grateful to both uh, the readers of AJMC that benefit from all the information we provide and the authors that contribute and, and develop that information. And uh, I guess a particular shout out to the reviewers. If you're listening, we love you. Yeah, I'll just uh, end this with, uh, I wanna thank all the people Mike thanked and thank Mike for this amazing collaboration. I think that one thing about 2024 that makes it different from the two and a half years prior is that we're heading into an election year. And I, uh, I'm i hopeful uh, that healthcare will remain an issue that's important to voters as they decide uh, how uh, local, state, and federal government decisions are made. And we're increasingly hopeful that the information that is produced by AJMC and the AJMC universe of other services and products will actually be able to better inform this debate about how we actually spend our healthcare dollars. Wishing everyone a happy, healthy, and fruitful 2024. Thank you both for your time. Always a pleasure chatting and happy holidays and happy new year. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Mark. And pass our thanks on to the whole AJMC team that do so much with and beyond the journal. For more, visit AJMC.com. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.